Do you have a shark problem or a deer problem? Hey, it's Seth, and this is Akimbo. We'll be back in a second with a short rant about the two kinds of problems most of us face. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. If you want to help the climate crisis, it pays to get specific. Like whom specifically will be most affected? The answer is those in poverty who live closest to the earth. After seeing the effects of drought firsthand, we chose to solve a specific problem for a specific group in need, the water crisis faced by the Maasai people in southern Kenya. For over 15 years, we've been bringing clean water, opportunity, empowerment, and hope to tens of thousands in the region. To learn more and get involved, just search Water is Life Kenya. Okay, I think a shark problem is pretty obvious. I don't have to play very much music to help you understand what a shark problem is. That's right, a shark problem is when a really horrible creature unexpectedly comes from the depths and causes an enormous amount of carnage, a vivid, sudden impact on our lives as we know them, and then disappears back to the depths, making us wonder when they will return. There's a long history of shark problems in literature and in life. But what about a deer problem? Well, if you live in the suburbs near a city, as I do, it's possible that you have deer running around your neighborhood. If you are in one of these deer-infested neighborhoods, they might not be called deer-infested. They might be called bucolic. It might be that the real estate broker hopes that a deer will gamble by running and frolicking with the antelope as they are showing the next home on their route. Love is a song that never ends. Because deer, deer also have a long history in media. Bambi, after all, was a deer. Deer, you know the song, Doe, a deer, a female deer. Deer are soft and cuddly and beautiful and quiet, and they remind us of sylvan wilderness. But there are deer problems. And the deer problems start with things like Lyme's disease and even COVID, diseases that affect deer, but can be transmitted, perhaps, to human beings as well. And then they extend to the whole idea of agriculture, that the forests, when deer are around in the winter, don't have much of a chance. Everything below seven feet off the ground is going to be nibbled and eaten. That it is quite likely that the typical human ecosystem can't easily coexist with a deer population that has no predators. Because if the deer have no predators, and most human populations don't tolerate coyote, <laughs> if the deer have no predators, they will continue to reproduce until they starve to death. And along the way, they're going to cause a lot of negative side effects for people anyway. Well, where I live, near New York, deer are considered invasive. There weren't deer here a thousand years ago, not near New York City. And the deer that are here, well, they're a little bit of a pest. And if they looked 
like rats, I think that we would have no trouble agreeing that we probably don't want so many deer around. And now we get to the essence of the deer problem versus the shark problem. Because all of the problems caused by deer happen gradually. A friend of mine was actually in a crash that killed him back in the 70s when he hit a deer as he was driving down a road on Highway 60 in Ontario, Canada. That more people are killed by deer by far than by sharks. Add to that the chronic economic problems, not to mention the health problems, and what it adds up to is that deer represent a slightly different problem than a shark problem. A deer problem is chronic. A deer problem creeps up on us. A deer problem is hard to visualize. And the solution to a deer problem is often socially unacceptable because it's really hard to get the deer to wear condoms. Therefore, the most direct and straightforward way to remove deer from a neighborhood where they are not actually thriving is to have them killed. Now, you can use fancy words like culling or even hunting, but the fact is that we figured out a long time ago how to kill deer. And I feel badly for the deer. The deer didn't ask to be in the suburbs. The deer didn't ask to be hunted, whether it's hunting season or not. And in the words of Gary Larson, the great far side cartoonist, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. The fact is humans have never been particularly kind to deer, and at some level, deer problems are their revenge. But I'm talking metaphorically here. I'm not actually talking about deer. So please, no need to write in to defend the deer. Here are two examples to get you started. A shark problem is installing a fancy burglar alarm system in your house, even though there are essentially no break-ins in your town. A deer problem, on the other hand, is the fact that you're hooked on junk food, and that junk food is going to take six months to a year off of your life. Or a shark problem. You're going to lose all of your money in a horrible crash. A deer problem. You don't have your money anywhere where it's likely to grow. Instead, you keep it in a bag under your mattress. What I'm talking about are all the problems we refuse to confront. The chronic situational logistical problems in our lives for our organizations that we could eliminate, we just don't want to. We would rather live with the chronic problem than take a deep breath and deal with it. Take, for example, human beings' inability to ignore some costs and to make good decisions. Is that because we're stupid? No, it's not. I mean, we are stupid, but we're not stupid about this. It's because we don't want to confront short-term disruption to make things better in the long run. So back to sharks. The thing is, if you want to avoid shark problems, pretty much your only answer is not to go in the ocean. We haven't come up with good shark sensors, and there's no way we're going to exterminate all the sharks. We're going to get rid of all the fish long before the sharks are gone. The sharks have been around a long time, and they're going to outlast us. So no, the way we deal with shark problems is by not going in the ocean. And as a matter of common sense, maybe that works for you, but it's a real shame to avoid something that simply feels dangerous because you're probably not going to get bitten by a shark. You're probably not going to get attacked by a shark. They're not swimming in the ocean to avoid sharks. 
simply doesn't make a lot of sense. On the other hand, deer? Deer really are a problem and the numbers support it. But we don't stop driving because we're afraid of deer. And we don't stop going outdoors because we're afraid of deer, even though Lyme's disease is a chronic illness that afflicts a lot of people in a really negative way. So as we look at the problems that we are avoiding and we think about how we avoid them, the essence of this rant is simple. Let's be clear about what the problem really is and why it continues to be a problem. Because problems are problems because there's a solution. You might not like the solution. The short-term cost of the solution may feel too high. But if you're going to live with a problem, it's not a problem anymore. It's simply a situation. Problems actually have solutions. And so if you care enough, you should go solve your problem all at once, even if it's not something that's going to hurt you right this minute. How's that for a rant? Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. We'll be back in a second with some questions from previous episodes. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. No ad this week. In fact, an ad about the ads. If you visit akimbo.link, you'll see a new button up there. Let me explain it to you really quick. My friends run akimbo.com, a B Corp that hosts the workshops that you've been hearing about here. But the Akimbo podcast is separate from that. And so going forward, every once in a while, I will talk about some of the workshops my friends are running. But in the meantime, I'd like to talk about what you're interested in. In fact, I'd like you to talk about what you're interested in. So if you visit akimbo.link, you'll see a way that you can upload a 30-second ad for a nonprofit, for a cause, or even for a hobby that you care about. Nothing commercial, please. Of course, I can't promise I'll be able to include all of them. There are guidelines at akimbo.link about how to do it and what to include and not include. The focus is 100% non-commercial and non-profit. I can't wait to see what you've got going on. Hey, Seth. It's Maria. Hey, Seth. My name's Kyle. Reading Seth. This is Steven out in Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, Seth. Alicia from Charleston here. Hi, Seth. This is Anupam. Hi, this is Caitlin. Hi, Seth. Warm greetings from Curacao. Hey, Seth. My name is Nick Ryan from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Seth. This is Rex. Hey, Seth. Hi, this is Vasilis from Greece. Hi, this is Roberta Perry. My question is... And that completes my question. As you know, I do love to hear from you. If you've got a question about this or any previous episode, I hope you'll visit akimbo.link, that's A-K-I-M-B-O dot L-I-N-K, and click the appropriate button. While you're there, look for the link to all the transcripts. Three questions this week about previous topics with new angles to them. Here we go. Hi, Seth. This is Lior from Telmont, Israel. I really enjoyed the last show that you had on the four forces, um, one of them being television. And I was wondering about how do we have any type of shared culture if we look ahead to the future where every one of us has not only you know separate content presented us, but potentially through AI, separate content made just for us. Are we going to be able to share anything? Love to hear your thoughts. Thank you for this, Lior. I think that you're right. When the filter bubble meets the long tail, weird things are going to happen. The long tail and the filter bubble, both books written about 10 years ago, were prognosticating ahead of their time. And at the time, 
it was difficult to prove that the math of separation of the lack of the short head, the end of hits, the end of a cultural center was actually happening. But now, I don't think there's any doubt about it. The last episode of MASH was seen by 70 million Americans, almost one in three people. Today, a typical hit TV show is seen by 1% of the U.S. population on the day that it airs. But leaving aside water cooler conversations, we also have this challenge that not only are so many people seeing so many different bits of our culture, but they are replacing what they are watching with their own narrative of reality. That people didn't think that the Jetsons or the Flintstones were real, but too often people are being seduced by all of the noise and all of the consistent falsehoods that they're absorbing through various forms of media. Add to that, as you are pointing out, the challenge that we are imminently able to make up content in real time, optimizing it for the individual who is watching. It's going to start as all these things do with porn, but it's going to extend really fast in lots of different directions. Does that mean the world is going to end? I'm not sure. I don't think so. It does mean that the world as we know it, the one where if I said to a friend, sing the theme song to Gilligan's Island, they would be able to sing it, that world is gone. Years ago, I packaged a book called The Encyclopedia of Fictional People. And the reason I did it was there were people younger than me in my office who didn't know things that I thought everybody knew. They didn't know what James Bond's secretary was named, and on and on and on. They didn't know who the professor or Marianne was. So we made a book to explain all of it. Today, we don't need a book like that for two reasons. One, we've got Wikipedia. And second, no one really wants to know anymore because there's so much pop culture, so much news, so much noise that knowing what everybody else knows is essentially impossible. So yes, I agree with you. This is going to be a significant shift in our culture. I'm not exactly sure where it goes. Hi, Seth. This is Dan, the Mad Norwegian from Madison, Wisconsin. I recently volunteered with an organization advocating for Final Five voting in Wisconsin, a simple form of ranked choice voting, which is more representative and less divisive, as the winner must appeal to a larger portion of the electorate in order to receive more than 50% of the vote. You've spoken about going to the edge in storytelling to increase word of mouth, as well as the importance of worldviews and frames. What approach or advice would you share with us to increase the chances that elected officials will support this measure to reduce bipartisanship and strengthen our democracy? Thank you for this, Dan. It's really difficult to be against things like ranked choice voting or final five voting as you are working for if you look at it from a fairness, from a cultural, from a representative, or from a democratic point of view. However, it is easy to be against them for two reasons. One, because you're afraid of change, because the status quo is fine, because changing the status quo invokes fear. And B, because you already have power, because you are already elected, because you are already busy gerrymandering things. And going to people in those categories and saying that this is more bipartisan, more fair, 
and more likely to create equity isn't going to be a story that resonates with those populations. No, those populations are going to shift when it becomes clear that the only way to maintain the power they have is to make a new decision based on new information. And that new information is simple. We have to organize, we have to talk about it, and we have to talk about it. That just like climate, these changes aren't going to come from the top. The people who are in charge aren't going to say, sure, let's get rid of gerrymandering, have ranked choice voting and term limits while we're at it because it's the right thing to do. It's not going to happen. What's going to happen is when enough people, enough people who believe in whatever policies they believe in, speak up relentlessly to make it clear that the people in power cannot maintain power until they get in front of the issue, that's how change happens. That's how it's happened since I've been born. Hi, Seth. This is Isa Arnaiz from At Isa in the Real World. So I've actually read your book, The Practice, and I love it, but I wasn't quite sure what you mean by consistency is important than authenticity. Isn't it important to be authentic and to be yourself? Or you mean when you are being consistent, you find yourself more? <laughs> Let me know, Seth. Really love for you to expound on that. Thank you. I admire you. Thank you for this one, Isa. So this has come up a bunch of times. Let me try to explain it because I think the semantics matter. Authenticity is often used as an explanation for bad behavior. I was just saying what I felt. I was just exercising free speech. I had something to say and I shared it. And there are a few people in politics and in social media who can collect a crowd simply by blurting out whatever comes to mind just being authentic. And my point is, none of us are truly authentic after we are two or three years old. After we're done being a toddler, everything we say and do is calculated at some level to help us get what we want. So I think what the people you serve want is for you to keep your promises, for you to show up as you said you would, for you to engage in emotional labor and not just blurt out what you feel like, but to do what's right. And the definition of what's right is what you said you believed was right. So if you are authentically having a bad day, I'm hoping you will still do a really good job of serving me that pizza or doing that heart surgery or whatever it is you said you were going to do. Because your authentic headache is not my problem, not unless I'm your best friend. And so, sure, with your best friend, blurt out the short-term thinking that comes to mind. But for the rest of us in a culture that's buffeted by so much noise and division, I think what we really need are people who are going to do the emotional labor to be consistent. I hope that resonates. Appreciate everybody listening. We'll see you next time. There's a big problem that's changing everything about the world as we know it. Carbon and the impact of humans on the earth. We talk about it with words like climate change and global warming. But there's just two really important things that you need to know about it. First, this is an overwhelmingly big problem. So much so that it's likely that you feel as though your choices don't matter in the face of it. Second, that overwhelming feeling that I just mentioned 
It's intentional. It was put there by design. The industries that make the biggest environmental impact have a vested interest in you feeling overwhelmed and powerless. They've marketed, lobbied, and schemed to create that feeling in all of us. In short, we've been lied to. But here's the good news. There's a lot you can do to make a difference. And the other good news is that there's still time. The Carbon Almanac is a book and project about these problems and what we can do to solve them. It was created and run by volunteers on the premise that it's not too late, but none of us can fix this problem on our own. We need each other. There are many ways to get involved, but simply learning more is a great start. Here are three steps you can take. First, go to thecarbonalmanac.org and sign up for the Daily Difference emails. They give you a short thought and a practical action that you can take alongside thousands of others every day. Second, get the Carbon Almanac book. It's full of facts, articles, graphs, and art. It's beautiful and fun to engage with. It's all footnoted and fact-checked. And importantly, it's made by volunteers whose only agenda is to solve these systemic issues. You can find it wherever books are sold. Finally, since you're listening to a podcast, search for the Carbon Almanac wherever you're listening. You'll find the Carbon Almanac podcast network and a few shows featuring expert insight, discussion, inspiration, and ways to take action. There's even a show just for kids. Do what appeals to you. Just do something. There's still time to make a huge difference in the future of the planet, but we can't solve this on our own. Join us.